Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 902. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Luhoko, and Figile Lingwati. But first up, the at AU anthem Now for a look at our top stories in this hour. International Criminal Court Prosecutor briefs the UN Security Council. Burundi's government welcomes the resumption of inter-Burundian dialogue and DRC police fire tear gas to disperse protesters in the capital, Kinshasa. In economics news, South Africa await review feedback from rating agencies. And in sports news, South Africa mourns the passing away of soccer coach Ted Dumitru. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The prosecutor of the International Criminal Court has defended the body's process of conducting preliminary examinations into certain countries before a final decision to move forward with an investigation is taken. This despite a narrative from certain countries and regions that the court is not an effective judicial body given its selectivity in prosecuting certain cases while others languish in slow-moving examinations. The prosecutor was also pressed on what final action the court could take against parties to the Rome Statute that have violated their commitments, particularly in executing existing arrest warrants. ICC Prosecutor Fatou Pensuda. I do not think that it is ineffective. If you look at some of the situations where we are engaged in preliminary examinations, we've actually seen... Um, actions being taken at the domestic level to address the crime. And this is mainly what it's meant to be, to encourage domestic uh, um, investig- I mean, preliminary examination to en- enable domestic jurisdictions to take up their primary responsibility because it is their responsibility to in- investigate these crimes. So we have to go through this process. We have to check that ICC crimes have been committed. 
The former First Lady of Ivory Coast, Simone Bagbo, has had her appeal against a 20-year prison sentence rejected by the country's Supreme Court. The jail term was handed down last year for her role in the violence, which followed the refusal of her husband, Laurent Bagbo, to accept defeat in a presidential election six years ago. Her husband is currently, currently on trial at the International Criminal Court in The Hague, accused of war crimes linked to the unrest. A Congolese official says at least 23 rebels have been killed in an operation launched in May to combat rebels in the North Kivu province. North Kivu Governor Julian Paluku says the joint UN and military operation in Beni has also led to the capture of five rebels, rocket launchers and bombs. Forces have cleared areas where allied democratic forces, rebels with origins in neighboring Uganda, were operating. The area around Beni has been the site of repeated attacks. The rebels have killed at least 500 civilians since October 2014. Hundreds of people gathered in Cairo on Thursday for a candlelight vigil for the 66 people killed last week where an Egypt airplane crashed into the Mediterranean in mysterious circumstances. Egypt Air MS-804 from Paris to Cairo disappeared from radar screens between Greece and the north coast of Egypt last Thursday. Investigators are still searching for the Airbus A320's two black boxes on the seabird as they seek answers as to why the aircraft went down. Clutching bouquets of flowers candles and the Egyptian flag. Around 500 mourners assembled at the Cairo Opera House and observed a minute silence in honor of the victims. And finally, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has granted amnesty to all female prisoners except those on death row or serving life sentences. This is said to ease congestion in the country's overcrowded jails. All juvenile male prisoners and all females have been released. An official from the prisons and correctional services called on Zimbabweans to give their ex-convicts a second chance through supporting them in different attempts to earn a better living. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. It's 8.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 902. The High Court in Kampala yesterday convicted seven terror suspects with murder and acquitted five. The court is expected to sentence them today. Our Kampala correspondent, Tony Singoro, has more. The High Court Judge Alfonso Onyidolo on Thursday convicted seven and acquitted five in connection to masterminding the July 11, 2010 Kampala bombings that left 76 dead and scores injured. Omar Awad Omar, Jaya Suleiman Mbodhia and Abubekar Batembeyo were acquitted after prosecution, failed to prove that they were involved in attacks. Guilty of terrorism were Issa Ahmed Rimam, Hassan Aged Idris Magundo, Mohamed Ali Habibu Suleiman Njoroge and Suleiman Hirab Nyamanondo. The trial of 13 Ugandan, Kenyan and Tanzanian suspects started in March 2015 at the High Court in Kampala. Soccer fans had gathered at Chandondo Rugby Club and Ethiopian Village Restaurant to watch the World Cup final game between Spain and Holland. The third 
bomb planted and much in their house in the city suburb. It failed to go off and it was supposed to explode when the phone rang but it malfunctioned and was recovered the next day. After the court's ruling, senior counsel who represented the suspect, Jacob Olaka, had this to say about those who were acquitted. As you've seen, the Honorable just released five of the accused persons and found that they were not guilty of charges of terrorism, murder or attempted murder or belonging to a terrorist organization as far as the Kampala bombings are concerned. After the five were acquitted, the prison officers whisked them away again in the prison bars back to Luzira. It was something which was unusual because they were supposed to be set free. But talking on that incident, Alaka condemned it. Once you've been acquitted, unless you are held pursuant to another offense, but to the best of my knowledge, all these five people do not have any other further charges against them. Once you've been given a release order, you cannot be admitted to any prison facility. So I do not know where the prison's bus is going to leave these five accused persons who have been convicted and set free. The Somali militant outfit Al-Shabaab, an affiliate of Al-Qaeda, claimed responsibility. The outfit justified the attack saying it was warning for the Ugandan army that formed part of Amazon to exit Somalia. More than 70 people's soccer fans and patrons perished in explosions at Chadondo Rugby Club and Ethiopian Village Restaurant in Kabalagala, both Kampala outskirts. This calamity diminished both in scale and impact. The country's previous unpleasant deaths with urban terrorism where suspected allied democratic forces rebels detonated explosives in the city bias. The attackers plunged Uganda into panic. Security was tightened at hotels, malls, and other public places, such as offices. Besides the ruined lives and material losses, the attackers imposed a difficult to estrange mass psychological fear and emotional trauma. From the countries east to the west, not to the south, families had buried their own killed in the 2010 attacks, and the pain was uniform and foreign countries rushed out allies to citizens against traveling to Uganda, the pearl of Africa. Tourism suffered, forex unintwindled, and widespread citizen anger nagged the government to prevent a repeat which it has so far done with success. For Channel Africa, I am Tony Singoro reporting from Kampala, Uganda. The government of Burundi has welcomed the resumption of inter-Burundian dialogue, lauding the spirit of peace portrayed by all stakeholders who took part in the recent discussions in Arusha, Tanzania. Speaking to journalists after meeting with diplomats accredited in Bujumbura, Burundi's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Alain Ame Nyamitwe, said the country is now back on track of peace and stability, despite remaining pockets of criminal acts. From Bujumbura, our correspondent Bernard Bankukira has more. The resumption of the inter-Burundian dialogue among Burundian stakeholders in the northern town of Arusha in Tanzania was among the key issues discussed by Burundi Foreign Minister Ale Emeyamitwe with diplomats accredited in Bujumbura on this Thursday. Speaking to the press after the meeting, Minister Nyamitwe acknowledged that he had an opportunity to explain to diplomats that along with the Arusha process, the country is also conducting an internal dialogue which, according to him, is so important. Vis-à-vis -vis the issue of dialogue, I have informed them that um, 
we were glad to participate in the uh, Arusha dialogue session as per the, the, the facilitator's invitation. And we were glad to also uh, note alongside with the facilitator that uh, the groups which were present all spoke to the issue of peace and uh, spoke peacefully. They were all enthused to be in that dialogue and indeed did not advocate for violence, uh, which is the most important thing because, as you know, two main instruments speak to the issue of dialogue, Resolution 2248 and uh, the Resolution 2279 of the UN Security Council indicated that only peaceful stakeholders should take part in that, uh, in that dialogue. Uh, secondly, we have also informed them that uh, inside the country there's uh, an ongoing uh, dialogue, and that dialogue is very important and not actually the very first one. So we continue to do the, the, the dialogue within the country and outside the country. If the people of Burundi decide tomorrow to put the referendum, whatever document to be released as a result of those uh, consultations, I think it is up to them to decide because they keep the, the, the sovereignty. For Burundi Foreign Minister, the internal dialogue is the most inclusive process and then should be taken into account as it is accepted by all Burundians and hailed by international community. I'll be surprised that it doesn't, simply because the people of Burundi have a say. And actually, if you read all the pronouncements, be it from the East African community or the, the UN, whatever, they talk about inclusive dialogue. And uh, cannot have more inclusiveness than that that gives the floor to everybody. I mean, each simple, each single Burundian has a say. A security issue continues to be a concern marked by criminal incidents and targeted killings, particularly in the capital Bujumbura. Minister Alain Emanyamitri says the situation is not so alarming as it was in the past months. He regretted the assassination of retired Colonel Lucien Rufiri on this Wednesday. Let's go by comparison. Uh, look at Bujumbura today and compare it to what it was uh, like eight or, ne- or nine months uh, ago. Uh, you see that there is a, a huge difference uh, among, uh, I mean, between the two uh, phases of our, of, our, of our country, of our capital. I mean, you don't. Of course, we deplore a few cases of, uh, you know, criminal acts which are connected, including the uh, the assassination of uh, retired Colonel Rufiri uh, yesterday. But I believe. Uh, um, in all humility, that if you compare today to what Rumbara to what it was to be, it used to be a few months ago, you come up with a conclusion that indeed the security has improved, and hopefully it will pro- improve even more in the days to come. Since the breakout of the current crisis in April last year, relations between Burundi and its partners went fading, leading the key donors to announce suspension of their financial support to the country. Till now, the country is yet to persuade them to change their minds. Meanwhile. Concerns about the economic decline are mounting day by day, with the country growing highly impacted by the lack of foreign currencies. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira reporting from Bujumbura. The prosecutor of the International Criminal Court has defended the body's process of conducting preliminary examinations into certain countries before a final decision to move forward with an investigation is taken. This despite a narrative from certain countries and regions that the court is not an effective judicial body given its selectivity in prosecuting certain cases while others languish in slow-moving examinations. The prosecutor was also pressed on what financial action the court could take against parties to the Rome Statute that have violated their comments, particularly in executing existing arrest warrants. Sean Brasspeace reports. The Office of the Prosecutor is currently conducting eight preliminary examinations, among them war crimes examinations in Afghanistan since 2007 and Iraq since 2014. 
Crimes against humanity are being examined in Guinea since 2009 and Colombia since 2004. Patu Bensuda is the ICC prosecutor. I do not think that it is ineffective. If you look at some of the situations where we are engaged in preliminary examinations, we've actually seen um, actions being taken at the domestic level to address the crime. And this is mainly what it's meant to be, to encourage domestic uh, um, I mean, preliminary examinations to en enable domestic jurisdictions to take up their primary responsibility because it is their responsibility to in investigate these crimes. So we have to go through this process. We have to check that ICC crimes have been committed. Some countries, among them Russia and several African states, believe the court has dragged its feet in certain situations while vigorously pursuing others. I believe that preliminary examinations are, are, are very important in the process. Uh, of course, it's in, this, in the statutes for us to do. And it affords us, the, uh, affords us the opportunity to ensure that all the legal criteria that is stipulated in the statute are met before any determination is made by the prosecutor, myself, to go further. In January 2015, the prosecutor undertook a preliminary examination of the situation in Palestine, but has yet to launch a full investigation. As I have indicated, we are still under preliminary examination. As I said from the beginning, we wanted to have all parties to the conflict to engage with my office, which is also happening. So the work is progressing. But as I also said at the very beginning, I cannot put a timeline to preliminary examinations. It depends on the facts and circumstances. We also raised the question of Sudan's President Omar al-Bashir and what sanctions are available to the court for states' parties that refuse to execute his warrant of arrest. The court has, uh, was informed about these visits and what they have been uh, required to do under the statute again and the rules is to write to those states. They have obligations under the statute to arrest when Mr. Bashir finds himself on their territory, and this is what, what they do. She explained that where the judicial process ends, the court can then refer the offending party to the Assembly of States Parties for Action, or in the case of Sudan to the Security Council, because it was indeed the council that referred the situation in Sudan to the ICC in the first place. What action, if at all, the Council would take against South Africa, for example, remains unknown, as there is no existing precedent. I'm Sherwin Bricebees in New York. Police in the Democratic Republic of Congo have fired shots in the air and used tear gas to disperse opposition protesters in the capital Kinshasa and in some other towns. Opposition leaders called on supporters to protest against poor security situations in Beni in the eastern DRC. They're also protesting against the Constitutional Court ruling allowing President Joseph Kabila to remain in power if no election is held this year. Januel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. It's in such a shooting and tear gas atmosphere that the Congolese National Police Service dispersed the opposition demonstration this Tuesday here in Kinshasa, the capital city of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Hundreds of opposition supporters went on the streets to support victims of ongoing massacre in Beni in the North Kivu province. The demonstration aimed as well to protest against the Constitutional Court recent ruling allowing President Joseph Kabila to remain on power 
power if no presidential election is held here this year. Police fired shots in air and used the tear gas to dispense protesters who were insulting President Kabila while throwing stones on police. One of the protesters who agreed to speak to Channel Africa had this to say. We are here for complaining. We are telling all the population of the world of the Congo we are not approving what Mr. Kabila is doing in Congo now and his majority. Mr. Kabila and his majority don't want to organize elections. They don't want to respect constitution. Even the constitutional court, we are not approving what they are doing. They are doing the work of Mr. Kabila and the electoral commission. He is not doing good things. That's why we are complaining, we are doing to tell the world we are not approving all Mr. Kabila is doing. He doesn't want to organize elections. We are calling all the population to take our responsibility. We want to tell to Mr. Kabila he cannot be president for life. He must respect the constitution. But the police is uh, shooting on the population. They are throwing gas to population. We cannot see well now. It's very sad for our police. The very same situation was reported in some other towns of the country, such as in Goma, where at least two people have been killed, as well as in Butembo. The protest went smoothly in Beni and Bukavu. And according to this analyst from the Research Center for Legal and Institutional Reforms, Charles Mushizi, in democracy, everybody is not obliged to agree with the current situation and has the right to express it. That is the right for every citizen to agree or to not agree with the, the situation, especially of that situation of uh, constitution violation. The opposition has also the right to agree or to not agree and then to organize its manner of expression respecting the constitution provision. And that manner of uh, acting is also allowed by the constitution. Depending of uh, the people who have in charge the security of those kind of reaction, should secure people, secure the leaders of the opposition while protesting because protestation is also allowed by the constitution so to deny that right to people who want just to protest peacefully is another manner of constitution violation. Let's police do its job correctly according to the laws and the constitution. President Joseph Kabila's second and last term is ending next December Opposition leaders have said they won't allow him to remain in the office even for another one day. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. It's 8.23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now Channel Africa celebrates its 50th anniversary tomorrow and for listeners in Southern Africa, you can listen to our special shortwave broadcast on the following frequencies. 3345 kHz on the 36 meter band from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Central African time and between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. will be on 723 zero kilohertz on the 40 meter band and from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. will be on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 40 meter band to southern Africa. 
and from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. will be on 6145 kilohertz on the 36-meter band to Southern Africa. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. For our listeners in East Africa, Channel Africa will be coming live to you tomorrow on the following frequencies. From 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Central African time will be on frequency 5940 on the 32-meter band. 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Central African time will be on... 12060 kHz on 32 meter band. 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Catch us on 15155 kHz on the 1-meter band. And between 10 a.m. and 12 a.m. Central African time will be on the frequency 17470 kHz on the 5-meter band. And from 6 p.m., to 8 p.m. will be on 11920 kHz on the 24-meter band. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Dear Channel Africa listener, this month, May 2016, yes, this May 2016, Channel Africa is celebrating 50 years of broadcasting and Africa Month. Join us this Saturday, the 28th of May, to experience the tastes, sights and sounds of our continent, Africa, right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. Your favorite radio station, Channel Africa, will be broadcasting live from Johannesburg's Yeovil Boys Sports Grounds from 10 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon Central African time. For further information, check details on Channel Africa's website, www.channelafrica.co.za. 50 years of excellence in broadcasting. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today is Friday, May the 27th, the 148th day of 2016, with 218 days left in the year. Now let's go back in time to today in 1963, Nelson Mandela arrives on Robben Island to serve his five-year sentence. That was today in history in the year 1963. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Outraged by the recent killing of a Congolese national, African countries have warned they may stop new students from enrolling in India. The government in Delhi insisted the murder was not linked to Afrophobia, but the attack seemed to have sparked a serious diplomatic storm. Rana Sen has more from New Delhi. 
Masonda Kitada Olivier, a 29-year-old Congolese, was killed last Friday by three Indian men over a minor dispute. Police insisted the attack was not a hate crime, but African diplomats based in New Delhi said the expatriate community was in mourning. Ambassadors from 42 African states also asked India to cancel Africa Day celebrations in a major embarrassment for India. Government spokesman Vikas Swarup responded to their calls for guarantee of security for overseas students. We will ensure that justice is done and stringent punishment is given to those involved in the attack. All criminal acts should not be seen as racially motivated. We will ensure that African students continue to find a welcome home in India and that such unfortunate incidents do not recur. External Affairs Minister Shri Sushma Swaraj is personally monitoring the matter. General V.K. Singh will also hold meetings with African students in metro cities to assure them of their safety and security. But fear is real on the streets of Indian cities. Congolese student Jonathan was even reluctant to provide his full identity as he spoke out. Congolese also have been facing a lot of things. Maybe this time around they felt, okay, they've been doing this to our children. God knows how many Congolese have fallen victim, how many Africans. So we need to start somewhere also so that they will know, okay, they left family back home. Nobody will send his child abroad to go and study and bring back his corpse. We don't pray for that. We all came here to study and go back happily to be something in our society. Indian televisions broadcast unverified reports of tit-for-tat attacks on Indian shopkeepers in Kinshasa. And Nigeria's Lawrence Ease Hugo called it a spontaneous reaction. It's a kind of reaction because those people, it's not the first time that they happen. Whenever you feel like your brother, your sense there and is treated in this way, you try to face your anger or to just pour out your anger to someone else. And that's what those people, they are doing there. But it's not that that's their prime instinct. Ketada's murder came three months after a Tanzanian girl was stripped and beaten by a mob in Bangalore city. In 2014, in Delhi, commuters attacked three Nigerian men for apparently harassing local women. In the same year, Delhi's then-law minister led a vigilante mob accusing two African women of being prostitutes. Some 30,000 Africans are enrolled in Indian universities. Many of them complain of social harassment and say some of them are even targeted in local colleges by teachers and fellow students. This is Rana Sen reporting from New Delhi. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court defends the body's process of conducting preliminary examinations into certain countries before a final decision to move forward with an investigation is taken. Former First Lady of Ivory Coast, Simone Bagbo, loses appeal against a 20-year prison sentence rejected by the country's Supreme Court. And up to 30 people feared dead after a shipwreck off Libya, while some 50 migrants have been rescued from the waves. Details at the top of the hour. Thank you, Amanda. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa.
Donald Trump has reached the number of delegates needed to clinch the Republican presidential nomination, securing his status as the party, party's presumptive nominee and adding momentum to his controversial campaign ahead of America's general election. The billionaire businessman earned one more than the 1,237 delegates needed for a nomination though he won't be named in the party's official nominee until the Republican convention in July. Nick Harper reports on how these extra delegate numbers add fuel to Trump's fiery presidential run. From the day Donald Trump entered America's contentious presidential race one year ago, the billionaire businessman with virtually no political experience has defied the odds. And we are going to make... Our country great again. He fought off 16 Republican contenders in a heated primary race, garnered support from high-profile conservatives, and has attracted millions of voters who believe he's able to challenge the status quo of Washington politics. Controversial comments that are a staple of his campaign have yet to cost him a win. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Trump's latest achievement, earning enough delegates to sail into the Republican convention as the presumptive nominee, marks the completion of a primary campaign that has defied predictions of failure and sets the stage for a bitter battle in November's general election against likely Democrat rival Hillary Clinton. Here's Peter Emerson, a political analyst who's been involved in every Democratic presidential campaign since 1972. I'm not sure Trump, when he began this, really thought that this was a possibility. He is an outsider, and he is a conduit for all this fear and anger that so many millions of voters are expressing through the primaries and the caucuses. Hillary Clinton is the insider, and that, no matter what her qualifications are, is a real uh, burden in some ways for her to carry because there's this pent-up demand for drastic change. Clinton is well on her way to securing the Democratic nomination, even as her contender, Bernie Sanders, remains in the race. She's applauded Trump's success thus far, but warns he's a loose cannon whose tactics won't work in the general election. Once the seriousness of the general election really hits people, he has to start being held accountable. He can't just make these pronouncements, insult people, scapegoat people, you know, call immigrants, uh, you know, murderers. It was Trump's controversial approach to politics that set him apart from the pack from day one. And now it's earned him the presumptive nominee title. Indeed, he's likely to pick up even more support when California holds its primary in just under two weeks' time. But it's still too soon to say if his bold campaign will help him to beat the odds once again in November. Nick Harper, Los Angeles. The United Nations NGO committee, which includes South Africa, has rejected a pro-freedom watchdog's request for consultative status within the world body, drawing a firm rebuke of the, from the United States. The Committee to Protect Journalists, or CPJ, is an independent New York-based non-profit organization that promotes the rights of journalists around the world while highlighting corrupt practices by states that could be harmful to the profession. The United States ambassador called the move to deny CPJ's accreditation outrageous, but South Africa responded by pointing to procedural matters that the NGO had failed to meet. Show and Bryce Peace reports. 
The NGO committee rejected CPJ's application with 10 votes against, 6 in favor and 3 abstentions. A vote held at the behest of the United States that felt that the process to accredit the NGO was being unfairly delayed. Ambassador Samantha Power. The rejection of CPJ's accreditation is part of a larger pattern. CPJ had been deferred six times prior to today, prior to today's vote. Countries defer by asking questions, even when those questions are answered. More questions, the exact same questions asked again. It's just a device. It's a, a way of um, ensuring that those accreditations are not forthcoming. So the vote is important because countries have to decide which side are they on. Are they on the side of free expression and organizations that um, try to advance that cause, or are they hostile to Article 19? And I think if you look at the, the list of countries that voted no, one learns a few things. A Western official expressed surprise at South Africa's harsh positions and views the committee process as pitted against groups that broadly defend human rights, be they LGBT rights, reproductive rights or otherwise. But South Africa rejected this notion, arguing that they were simply following a template provided committee members on due diligence and felt that the United States had rushed to a vote when questions remained unanswered. Deputy Permanent Representative Matlatsi Minele. There is a delegation that uh, came in to say, somehow please consider uh, letting this specific NGO go through um, without necessary due diligence. This is what we could throw from what they were saying. But we're saying there's an established procedure that has to be followed. But lo and behold, on their part, they felt, you know what, uh, we're not going to wait for this process to take its course. What we're going to do is that we're going to jump and go for a vote. A vote was called, and um, the outcome was such that uh, the, this specific uh, committee uh, uh, on the protection of journalists uh, didn't go through. Among the concerns raised by South Africa was CPJ's definition of speech that incites hatred and its lack of support for punitive measures against such speech. CPJ believes there is no internationally agreed definition for hate speech. South Africa's Matlatsi Minele again. If only the delegation that uh, went on Twitter now to say South Africa and other countries who are members of this NGO committee uh, did not really uh, uh, want to accredit this very same NGO, if only they had waited and not jumped to gun, we should be somewhere now because they were going to be given a chance to say go and uh, come up with a better explanation on uh, how we need to take this process forward. South Africa joined nine countries in voting against the group, among them China, Russia, Sudan, Venezuela and Cuba. CPJ's Executive Director Joel Simon, in a statement, called the accreditation process one of bureaucratic limbo, blaming a small group of countries with poor press freedom records for sabotaging the exercise. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Channel Africa celebrates its 50th anniversary tomorrow and for listeners in Southern Africa, you can listen to our special shortwave broadcast on the following frequencies. 3345 kHz on the 36 meter band from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Central African time and between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. will be on 7230 kHz on the 40 meter band and from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. will be on the frequency 
9625 kilohertz on the 40 meter band to southern africa and from 6 p.m to 8 p.m will be on the frequency 6145 kilohertz on the 36 meter band to southern africa now stay tuned to channel africa whilst for our listeners in east africa channel africa will be coming live to you tomorrow on the following frequencies from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Central African time will be on frequency 5940 on the 32-meter band. 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Central African time will be on the frequency 12060 kHz on the 32-meter band. 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Catch us on 15155 kHz on the 1 meter band. And between 10 a.m. and 12 a.m. Central African time will be on 17470 kHz on the 5 meter band. And from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. will be on the 11920 kHz on the 24 meter band. Now stay tuned to Channel Africa as we celebrate. 50th, our 50th anniversary tomorrow. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's five forty. It's rather eight forty-one Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Zorka. Africa Amuka na Unai. The Directorate for Priority Crime Investigations in South Africa, the Hawks, has arrested 15 people, including officials from Home Affairs and South African Revenue Services, SARS, in connection with illegal activities at the Baybridge border post in Musina. This follows allegations the suspects have been taking bribes and from foreign nationals to process and stamp their documents without following the correct procedure at the border and around Musina. Rodani Chibate has more. Officers from the Hawks arresting a manager at the Home Affairs offices at the border in front of his subordinates. He was marched out of the offices without shoes as his shoes were taken as part of the evidence against him. He was taken to his house where he voluntarily produced another pair of shoes. His wife, who also works at Home Affairs, was shocked to see her husband escorted to the house by police. He allegedly received the two pairs worth 3,000 rand each as a bribe from a police agent. He in return stamped the passport without following procedure. The Hawks boss, General Benintle Meza, who formed part of the operation, says it took six months to investigate the suspects. He says the suspects were involved in the corrupt activities. Amongst those arrested are business people and clearing agents at the border. The suspects were arrested at their various workplaces. Fifteen people have been arrested in this operation. Actually, what I want to say, this is a typical example of a project. And I hope now the head of the department's home affairs and uh, SARS 
and the, the police in the province, they are busy putting the new people. Because I could say now, without fear, I close the Bay Bridge now. Because I hit the heads, the high-profile people, including the business people, including the advocates. So the hoax is just sweeping. A local lawyer who is also a church priest allegedly received 23,000 rand bribe for issuing a business visa to a foreign national. A police officer allegedly received 1,200 rand for issuing a false affidavit to a foreign national. General Ntlemeza says they will clean up the border of corrupt activities. We have made an impact here in Bay Bridge. Remember, Ebay Bridge has been the talk of the town. And Ebay Bridge is the hub of the economy of this country, of ours. We cannot tolerate the corruption to happen as it is happening here. The hoax has started, and I promise the people of this country that we're going to clean the Bay Bridge. One of the 15 suspects is a school teacher at Musina High School. He allegedly received 42,000 rand for assisting 20 foreign nationals. He was in possession of home affairs and custom stamps. Ntlemeza hopes the suspects who are government employees will be relieved of their duties permanently. Who are coming to the hawks and report other people. So the hawks must be given a space. It's hitting now and it's going to hit. Uh, I think they will be appearing tomorrow. The suspects are expected to appear before the Musina Magistrate Court tomorrow morning. For SABC Radio News, I'm Rosan Chivase at Musina Limpopo. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehoko. South Africa's Finance Minister Pravin Gordon says government business and labor will have to work as a team to encourage investment and jumpstart growth in the economy. He has told Parliament that he is expecting review feedback from rating agencies Standard & Poor's and Fitch in 10 days' time. Gordon participated in a debate on collective action for an inclusive economy in the National Assembly. Two other ratings agencies, Standard & Poor and Fitch, engage ourselves and many others over the past week, with SNP also visiting businesses and other stakeholders. We will receive feedback from these two agencies sometime in the next 10 days. Beyond the June date, the next round of reviews will be in December this year. We will have to work harder to demonstrate even more concrete outcomes by the time of the December reviews of our rating position. Gordon says that the future success of the economy and the avoidance of an immediate rating downgrade depends on regenerating confidence by all stakeholders. Regenerating confidence through concrete actions by all, however small at this stage, to avoid an immediate ratings downgrade and establishing common projects with concrete outcomes which benefit all sections of our people is the key to future success. We have begun this conversation amongst all of us. In the past few months, the growing challenge and our transformation agenda have brought government, business and labor leaders together. South Africa and Kenya are to hold talks with other African countries on finding a common position on ivory trade. This comes ahead of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species in September.
Speaking on the sidelines of the United Nations Environment Assembly in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, Environment Minister Edna Molewa said that South Africa would encourage non-challenged discussions. We do have a dialogue planned that would necessitate the two of us, between ourselves and Kenya, to just prepare for the Africa group meeting that's going to be sitting, to look at such proposals and how we can work together in identifying areas of convergence first, but also areas where we could actually find some solutions to proposals of that nature. Kenyans should brace for tough times ahead of the government moves to implement two pieces of tax legislation to plug the ballooning budget deficit. According to analysts, PricewaterhouseCoopers, the government will be taken or rather will be keen to implement the Value Added Tax Act 2013 and Excise Tax Act 2015 in a bid to help the Kenya Revenue Authorities meet its revenue collection targets. Despite the two pieces of legislation having been in place for some time now, the tax man has continued falling short of its collections at targets. Rwanda has issued a 15-year treasury bond with 15 or rather 13.5 million US dollars whose proceeds will be used to uh, fund infrastructure projects and deepen its capital markets. The National Bank of Rwanda said the bond's tenure will be the longest since it started issuing bonds in 2008 and had a 2.16% subscription uh, rate. It said both the bonds coupon and yield came in at 13.5%. In Mozambique, the yield on the country's restructured 850 million US dollar tuna bond had hit a record high on Thursday after the government confirmed another state-owned firm, MAM, had missed a loan repayment deadline, fueling investor fears of a default. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabi Solohoku and let's go straight into your financial indicators. The US dollar trades at 15.59 in South Africa, 11.04 in Botswana, at 10.25 in Zambia, 6.8 British pound, 8.9 euro. Just before we look at commodities, remember there's a sport update coming up next with Fiyila Lungwati. Gold trades at $1,271. Platinum $990 an ounce. Brand crude four nine zero. Two zero cents a barrel. It's still Africa Rise and Shine with Lulu Gabu. Yeah, well, nothing has come uh, in so far, but uh, he's a South African now. He's been here for a long time, mm. and his family is here. He's built his life around South Africa. So I suppose he will be buried in South Africa, but that will be confirmed uh, as, the go- as the day goes by. All right, give us an update. In our sports update this hour, we could uh, uh, m- uh, 
Ted Dimitri has passed on. And the name Zipo Langalala in South African football will always be synonymous with the late Bafana Bafana head coach and four times PSL League Championship winning coach at Ted Dumitri. When the news filtered in on Thursday morning that Dumitri had collapsed at the Eastgate Shopping Centre in Johannesburg, the first person to jump after his presentation at the South African Football Coaches Association Youth Seminar was Langalala himself. Langalala, who later worked with Dumitri at Mamelodi Sundowns, remembers his mentor. Quite sudden, but also we are happy in that we, are, we have somebody with that kind of knowledge that is always and every time prepared to share with the rest of us. Knowledge shared definitely is knowledge improved and is knowledge used. What you've learned from him, um, coaching-wise? Uh, it, it, without doubt, he has had a big influence on my coaching career, which he, when we met, I already had started with a lot of work before. And uh, the, the one key thing that really made us, uh, me and him, obviously, and many others, I will talk about myself, that uh, compatible was the fact that we believe that it is in the nature of people that we should develop our game. It is what we have that will give us the best success, or sustained success. So sharing knowledge, sharing information, sharing resources, and making everybody better is his way of living and this is why so many people uh, know him about that maybe for other reasons there are other people who have reservations with his life with his life and with his approach to the game and in athletics kenyan lawmakers supported proposed changes to anti-doping legislation at a special sitting of parliament on thursday in the hope that wada will accept the law this time kenya was forced to make the changes after the World Anti-Doping Agency rejected an initial law and declared the East African nation non-compliant. That meant the suspension of Kenya's entire drug testing program three months before the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. A Kenyan delegation flew to Canada last week to meet with WADA officials and work out a roadmap for the country to become compliant with global anti-doping regulations. And in the marathon... With just over two days before the 91st edition of the Comrades Marathon, more than 7,000 novice runners will participate in this world's renowned ultramarathon. One of those first-time runners is the 26-year-old Abongi Nokanda, who hails from rural areas of Ngamakwe, Eastern Cape, but now resides in Pumalanga. This will be Nokanda's longest distance he has ever run since he started running three years ago. Uh, very excited, very excited, I must say, because I haven't run a big race in my life, uh, a race uh, as big as Comrades. All eyes will be on Comrades Marathon. Uh, it's, I feel very blessed as well because uh, there'll be a lot of uh, international athletes uh, as well as uh, South African all over Africa. So, yeah, I feel blessed to be part of it. Comrades, uh, it's not like any other race I've ever run. Because uh, I've been running 21s and 42 kilometers. And finally, with golf news, there's a three way tie into the second round of the BMW PGA Championship at the Wentworth after some excellent scoring. Julius Leighton, Scott Hand, Nwaii Yang share seven under par, while the Masters champion Denny Willett is only a shot adrift. That's a sport news this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa International Criminal Court prosecutor briefs the UN Security Council Burundi's government welcomes the resumption of inter-Burundian dialogue and the DRC police via tear gas to disperse protesters in the capital, Kinshasa. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, our producers, uh, Pumuto Ramagaza and Khomuto uh, Mupulana, technical producer, Maria Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of our hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa is Pomuzo's Choice. <laughs> 